Welcome back to Obstacles Under the Surface with Katie Wenger. I am a psychotherapist of over 18 years, and I produce psychoeducational material to benefit those who may find the strategies and knowledge that I've gained over that time and seen clients implement successfully for their benefit as well. Today, our episode is Overcoming Barriers to Wellness. I'm excited to have guest Mo Hassoun, who is an addiction and mental health psychotherapist and wellness coach. His experience encompasses servicing clients in numerous settings, including outpatient clinical, private practice, inpatient, residential, hospital treatment settings, and correctional facilities. And he is able to inspire true change in his clients and really help them save their own lives from addiction. So I'm excited to have this conversation with him today. And you'll get information at the end of the podcast on his book that is for sale on Amazon and on his website that you can learn more about all that he has to offer and teach you. I am here with Mo Hassoun, an addiction and mental health psychotherapist and wellness coach. Welcome, Mo. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for joining. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, I got into the business of professional help and counseling um, after being exposed to it when I first moved to the country in 2006, 2007. I was very unfamiliar with the process of receiving professional help and psychotherapy was something that was in a way unheard of where we're from, um, and if, in a way frowned upon or, or was stigmatized, right? Men seeking help and talking about problems, right, and challenges. So in time, I had some little exposure to it. It was unfamiliar, but I knew there was something there. And in time, when I started to go through my own journey and my own struggles, um, assimilating into a new culture, I'm from the Middle East, so I came from Lebanon as a foreign exchange student. Okay. And then I enrolled in college, faced some problems, got out of college, experienced various challenges, and then um, addiction issues, a slight uh, antisocial you know, behavior led into some uh, involvement with the correction system. And so in time, depression increased, anxiety increased, paranoia increased, and all of the unresolved traumas were starting to surface you know, uh, as a young male with limited resources and finance, financial problems, and you just had all these elements that you had to face and encounter. And at some point, you know, I uh, was forced to seek help, and it was a game changer for me. So it was in and out over a series of months and then years uh, until I developed this awareness that maybe I could do this as well. Maybe I can give back, right? So yeah. I, enrolled, I enrolled in a program and 
I started to get all this exposure to this insight that I had no clue existed on the mind and mental health. And uh, the journey began from there. The, journey, the, the personal journey was one part of it, and then the professional journey was the second part, right? Learning how to incorporate, how to give help and how to receive help. It was a very interesting process. And then I landed uh, working in the correctional justice system with the, okay. with the Michigan Department of Corrections for a few years, where I specialized in servicing clients um, that were in the re-entry program. So guys that have done their time, uh, they're on probation or parole, and they were being reassessed basically to see if they're fit to, to go back into the world, right? Okay. Um, I did that for a few years. I've worked in hospital settings as well. And uh, I've done uh, private practice, outpatient settings, the experience encompassed various areas, and now I'm currently actually running my practice out of the city of Ann Arbor in Michigan. Okay, so you're doing counseling still? I'm doing counseling and psychotherapy still, yes. I'm doing that full-time, and I'm doing wellness coaching part-time. And my specialty currently with the young guys, I'm trying to focus on young males that are confused, lost, um, lacking purpose, just in really compromised states and trying to give them mentorship and guidance. Okay. Yeah, great to know. I'm sure many have a similar story as yours, so they can they can connect with you easier than someone that hasn't been through it. It definitely helps because uh, when you personify the teachings, it is attractive to uh, the recipient. It's, it's attractive to the consumer. So a lot of times the young guys, they, uh, they look at the progress and they don't have much insight on your journey, on your story. And when they listen to the story over time, they start to connect the dots and say, you know what, if he was able to do it, if he came from another country, if, if he spoke another language, if he came from a different background and he found a way, right? It right. kind of gives the individual a little bit more hope. And then when they work side by side with you, it's also a different element. There's a different level of accountability and a push and motivation and drive that they accumulate. So it works. It's a really good system. And, and I understand this because I received help. And right. so when I did hire someone that I surrendered basically my will to over time and I implemented the program and the advice and the suggestions, it basically came out. I mean, I'm at a state currently that I'm very grateful for. But it took time and it took a, a lot of um, a lot of effort and, and a willingness to work on this diffusion of resistance that we call it resistance contracts that we have signed subconsciously, right? And it takes a right. special person to be able to touch another person the right way and guide them through the process. Well, and that resistance is part of really what this whole podcast is about and what my book will be about those obstacles under the surface that you know in this case we're talking about you being at a point and these young men being at a point where they recognize it but for some people it's still subconscious and it's impacting their own lives and their relationships and their work so i think it ties in really nicely and looking at our topic today, overcoming barriers to wellness, that sounds like one of the key ones, that resistance contract. That's the first time I'm hearing that, but I really like it put that way because it makes it very visual and 
I think that makes it seem more surmountable, although it takes a great deal of work. Right. Over time, you know, when you start to explore the why, right, and that's part of the process of understanding change or the prerequisites for change, is you don't just want to learn how to do something. You need someone that is capable of helping you go within and start developing insight on the why. So when we explore resistance contracts, like we have to understand that the barriers that come in, they come in dimensions. They're either internal or external. They're either conscious or subconscious, right? Right. So my, my primary focus with a lot of the clients that I've worked, I do definitely explore external elements and environmental factors. Uh, but again, their level of awareness currently or the state of thinking that they're in is very limited. It's on a micro level. And so my aim is to enhance that to a macro level. So that's why I dive into this element of resistance contracts with my guys. So subconsciously, I've made a commitment to something, right? And my commitment is specifically related to avoidance, escapism, right? Trying to find a way to eliminate any relationship with discomfort. So shortcuts, um, thinking that I want to work smarter, not harder, right? All these like cliches and all these systems that have been communicated to us through time, like delegate, etc. But anyways, all of these elements reinforce this concept of being far away from the process. And that's where all the magic happens. So if you're interested, I'll share some of this stuff with you. Um, yes, please. Yeah. You know, you, you know what I've noticed over time when we talk about like diffusing self-sabotage, right? And we have to understand the barriers fully. So a lot of times what I've noticed with individuals is there's this concept of subconscious resistance to happiness, right? In, in, in yes. other terms, we call it the upper limit in, in our business. Like I have a certain tolerance capacity to experience happiness because it's unfamiliar. And when I do experience happiness, I may resist it because I don't know how long it's going to last. And I'm afraid of what it feels like because it's so uncommon. So I end up resisting it or worrying about how long it's going to last, which makes me completely fail to even tap into it, right? 100%. Thinking styles is another thing that I've noticed um, with, with, our, with our consumers. Um, emotional intelligence issues. You'll either see someone yeah. that's hypo-regulated, they over-express themselves, or they're hyper-regulated where they suppress themselves. So yes, a, lot, a lot of these elements are not intentional, right? They're just conditioned over time and they become familiar and they become the norm. And then you're trying to incorporate change with someone. And in a way they start to think, well, you're changing their identity. You're changing their personality. But in reality, you're just changing how they operate and how they respond to the world. So self-deception is one of the key elements that I discuss with um, individuals that I serve. And that's where self-sabotage comes. And so, Katie, when you think about self-deception in a way, you want to understand why do humans deceive themselves? And through a lot of encounters that I've had and like counseling sessions and, and, and public speaking events and working with people from all backgrounds, I've noticed this element of low tolerance for discomfort. So when yes. someone has a low tolerance for something, they have to find a way to escape it. And so in a way they rely on their thinking styles. And so thoughts usually support escapism and avoidance of discomfort. 
So anytime you escape something, your tolerance for it shrinks. It, it goes down. And every time you sit with it or try to understand it, your tolerance for it goes up. I mean, right. you're, you're in the business as well, and, and you're most likely familiar with the gray matter or the amygdala, right? The fear-based center in the brain. Yes, absolutely. It controls more than people would realize. Right. And so that part of the brain, based on studies that I've seen and read and, and a lot of research, we've noticed with addicts, alcoholics, individuals that have chronic escapism tendencies through processes or substances, that part of the brain shrinks in size from lack of use. Right. And so when you're talking about change or when we're talking about barriers to wellness, well, if you want to be well, you have to be willing to endure self, self-inflicted at You have to be willing to actually pursue some level of discomfort, which is a violation of the mission statement of the addict alcoholic, right? Right. If my mission statement is short-term comfort, long-term dysfunction, and you're coming to me saying, hey, man, I want to change. Like, what do I need to do? Well, your mission statement has, a ch- has to change before we even come up with the steps or the, or, or the, like, the design for the program for you, right? You have to be willing to commit to this dur- you know, enduring of, of discomfort in order for you to accumulate long-term function. So the mission statement changes like these are the subtle invisible elements that we have to explore with our clients and a lot of times, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think what comes into play a lot that I notice with my clients is, well, of course, the judgment of themselves, but where is that coming from? Usually the judgment they feel from other people and whether that's expect expectations that have been put on them by others or they feel have been put on them that weighs pretty heavy and then i think when they don't achieve to that level is when some additional self-sabotage comes in definitely because i'm not meeting the expectations i'm experiencing disappointment and now i have a justification system to go back and reinforce or you know this belief right that i just tapped into this this information that i've received and you're right, it's a cycle. And then there's this addiction to pain, obviously, that the consumer develops as well because it's familiar. Like, I thrive in chaos is often what I hear from a lot of my clients. And they don't understand what that means. I mean, yeah. if you're thriving in it, you might, you must be making progress. But in reality, there are just consequences and you're regressing. That's not thriving, that's surviving. And that still feels comfortable to them. So Definitely. it's easier than the opposite, which is Definitely. Healthy. And when my clients call it comfort, I actually correct them and I tell them perceived comfort so I can get in their heads a little bit more. Yeah, very true. I get in their heads and I say, okay, you're right. It is comfortable, but is it perceived comfort? And then you get this question mark that comes up, right? Like in their head, like what? Right? And so there's this idea of, yes, familiarity can be perceived as comfort. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure your clients talk about this as well, that depending on the environment they grew up in, if that was chaotic, if that was abusive, if that was unhealthy or dysfunctional in any pretty major way, then they seek out those same patterns and that is comfort to them. They don't realize what it can really be to be happy and peaceful because what they're comfortable with is the unhappy and the absence of peace. Definitely. 
definitely this is so valid so valid and so common and i hope and i wish that more individuals communicate this especially men yes. because because of this idea of toxic masculinity and this development of i'm not against a man being tough and strong and right. provide safety this is crucial i mean it's very important yes but there's missing elements as well that need to be incorporated because you're going to be a husband you're going to be a dad right you're going to be a at some point a person that services another young individual as well so there's there's needs there needs to be this compassion this love this unconditional positive regard for a soul right and and you can't yeah. develop these things if you're in a toxic masculine state so okay. I advocate I advocate for the integration of it all because at the end of the day it's beyond the gender right this is still a human element not a male element right right and you need to start with the compassion and the the love for yourself in order to be able to give it to those others it's a prerequisite you are absolutely right and that's where the challenge lies right how do i receive yeah. help how do i receive love in order for me to actually deliver it and give it back effectively because if you fail to do this step which is the prerequisite you only have a people pleaser as yes. a result yeah you're right right you only have someone that knows how to act like they care they don't genuinely feel it yeah and that doesn't get you far of course it doesn't and that's unfortunately a lot one of the many lessons that i had to learn as an individual right i had a really difficult time receiving love because of my early back like my early life history and background right where we grew up it was it was not how do i say this like the individuals like my caregivers had to leave there was some level of abandonment that happened okay and when they came back they had a difficult time because of the education limitation on how to give love and give support so you grow up in this absence of something the presence of physical safety maybe the physical resources but the absence of the emotional element so when you grow up in a chronically neglectful state from an emotional standpoint you start to think something's wrong with you right because of your limited yeah. idea to understand and then you don't know how to receive love because you feel like you're not worthy of it. But again, this is something that's subconscious too. I had no idea this existed in me until yeah, I started right. to receive therapy and, and, and talk about my sabotage patterns uh, and started to develop an understanding as to why I'm resisting good mm -hmm. things. And as soon as something pleasant happens in my life, I work on ruining it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's an interesting, interesting process, but you're right. If you don't go through it as a provider or as a mentor or as a coach, you're going to have a difficult time understanding individuals you're serving or helping them even. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to, you can't have that same level of understanding for sure. And just to be able to get to that mindset where that client is at and that you're able to do because of your shared experience with them is invaluable. And, you know, many times you'll hear clients say that they, especially I've heard it in the addiction field, you know, this, my counselor has never been where I am. They haven't gone through what I've gone through, so they can't understand me and their advice and counsel doesn't seem to fit. Right. Yes, yeah, so this is a very common issue. 
and you know it makes a lot of sense when the helper or the mentor or the psychotherapist whoever you're receiving help from that has had encountered or endured something similar to your to your story and then they learn how to personify it and this is the biggest deal for me i tell guys all the time the young generation does not have a listening problem you know they have a role model problem and this is something i firmly believe as an individual that was looking for help but i didn't connect to the individuals that were trying to help me right because how am i going to receive help if i don't feel like i can trust you not because of a credential that you've developed right like i'm not familiar with your story i don't know where you've been i don't know if i mean are you practicing what you're preaching and a lot of times you'd notice this element missing yes you just have someone that went received some insight came back and repeats it and that to me wasn't sufficiently enough because of the paranoia and the ptsd issues that i had so trust was an automatic barrier to receiving help right yeah yeah that's hard to get past it's very difficult but again it's it's that individual's awareness and ability to start seeing what's happening behind the scenes in order for them to get closer and build rapport and touch the individual so they could develop that trust what are some of the common ways you see people starting that process like how do they even get themselves to be open to it to begin with well, when you start to experience suffering beyond your capacity, that's what opens the door a lot of time yeah. um, to seeking help. And then at that time, individuals, but with this current day and age, it's very easy to locate individuals and find support and do some research on biographies. It's not like it was in the past 20 years ago when I first came here, it was difficult. Now the resources are much more available because of the technology and this is a beautiful thing. You could actually get to become familiar with um, who someone is, what they've been through, because individuals go and, and speak, right, on their challenges. And you could just connect yeah. very easily and say, hey, you know what, I'm interested in help. Do you have any availability? I'd like to connect with you. But that's what usually happens. The prerequisite is awareness development. I have to feel enough pain. I have to feel enough suffering in order for me to say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I have to turn my will over to something or someone, right? I need some guidance. And that's usually what begins the process. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I think if you're continuing to use a substance or engage in whichever addiction that that you do, you, it's hard to get to that awareness because you're covering it up. You're making yourself feel better. Definitely. Short-term relief is, is the mission statement for a lot of the clients we serve. You know, whether it's coming through drugs, substances, whether it's coming through food, you know, isolation. I mean, there's a lot of, like, mechanisms of relief-seeking available for individuals these days. Video games, vaping, um, porn, you know, online browsing, I mean, shopping, gambling. I mean, you can gamble on your cell phone. It's it's illegal in right. Michigan as well. It's one of the three states currently that you okay. can go online and just gamble. This These are very common problems that I work daily with consumers on addressing. But that's actually the means or the manifestation in a way 
to receive the help when you start to lose enough money when you start to hurt enough people when you start to get incarcerated when your body starts to break down I had a client two days ago that has been diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver right oh. I've been seeing him for months and no matter how much awareness he has on the consequences that consuming has had on his life it didn't come close until he got that diagnosis as soon as he started to see his color was changing because obviously you know he started to become yellow his eyes lost color right his his entire skin is yellow and um, he's not eating his liver stopped working that's when his attention was grasped right okay he was hospitalized um, he just got out of the hospital and reconnected again. So after the hospitalization and seeing how he had to be sober for six months in order for, for him to be considered eligible for a liver transplant. I mean, all this stuff put a lot of fear in him, right? This isn't sufficient for someone to be in recovery, but it's sufficient to begin their journey of change, okay? Because fear can only go so far for an individual. It may be a booster to tap into this, okay, well, I need to do something. And then it's gonna be dependent on the provider to help actually elevate this into much more different types of like driving factors because fear alone isn't enough. Think about the correctional justice system, for example. You know, guys yeah. go in and they get on probation and they're advised to have these criteria to meet. And one of them says, do not use. If you use a substance and you test positive, you're in violation mode, we could put you in jail or extend your sentence or your term. So what these guys end up developing mentally is not acceptance. They end up developing compliance. Right. And as soon as their term ends, boom, they go back to using. So the issue here isn't to simply rely on fear as a motivating factor. So like this consumer that I've been serving, I'm understanding that I have a specific amount of time to work on getting into him and changing the change, basically working on the change blueprint, right? How do I help him unlearn his commitment, right? That's key. And that's his change blueprint? That's part of the change blueprint is yes, I have to understand what my commitment was and work on unlearning it. That's where a lot of providers miss this piece. They simply work on addressing external elements that are surfacing that the client is choosing to discuss. But with more awareness, we have more responsibility. So as an individual that's been through this, I understand that like at my core, I have a commitment to something and that has to change. And that's deeper than just the steps or the process or, you know, like what I need to do. I need to know why I'm doing it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I can think of one client who you know, he really lost everything almost and still it wasn't enough. And it just surprised me. I'm not working with him on addiction, but you know, it, it surprised me that even after losing his wife, majority of the time with his children, his home, you know, so many things that he still valued the addiction above above all of that right because the value that's happening isn't conscious it's subconscious obviously right and this is where the concept of yeah. is addiction a disease is it a moral issue and that's where we have to start recognizing these individuals aren't consciously making decisions they're also subconsciously making them so right. when, when you're fear-based center 
is you know compromised obviously your values are going to be compromised as well because you're not thinking about thriving remember we talked about this you're thinking about surviving and that's yes. all i'm concerned about currently right right does that individual feel guilt and feel shame of course they do but their priority isn't addressing those elements currently their priority is survival and unfortunately that's what happens with a lot of our guys with a lot of our consumers how about for people that you see that are they're not in a situation where they're in prison or they're experiencing poverty or anything like that like they could they could be financially in a great position you know and still have this addiction going on and still I'll, I'll, share this with you. I'll share this with you because here's what happens with relation to the two types of categories of consumers we serve and I'd hate to put them in categories but for the listener it may be easier to okay. understand because they need to know where they need to place themselves as well if they're struggling with this the original addiction Katie is is actually is actually stemming from an avoidance craving okay it's not a craving for a substance it's not a craving for a drug you have to know the why, right? Why do I use a substance? And many of my clients, because of their conscious thinking, they say, well, Mo, Mo, I don't use to escape pain. I'm using sometimes just for pleasure. Well, if you're using for pleasure, you may have not went through the stages of addiction yet. Maybe you're on your way there, right? Substance use, substance misuse, substance abuse, addiction, and then dependence. So there are stages that consumers go through. Not everybody is addicted. Not everybody is dependent, right? Yeah. Someone may end up misusing alcohol one night and end up having a DUI and they face the consequences and then they stop. But yeah. someone that's dependent isn't gonna stop. They're not gonna just stop because they had one, two, three DUIs. I have consumers with seven DUIs plus and they still do it. Yes. So, so it's number one, you have to take into account the stage of the stage of use the individuals and number two, it's the categories. So there's two types of categories, someone that grows up in a low nurturing environment and someone that grows up in a high nurturing environment. So if someone has access to a lot of resources, if someone okay. has a lot of money, you know, I have professional athletes that I actually serve. Uh, a couple of the one current individual I'm working with is in the NHL and the other is in the NFL and okay. these individuals have a similar uh, drug of choice um, it's opioids okay it's painkillers and a lot of times the painkiller was prescribed as a result of an injury but right. we know that pain is processed in the same part of the brain whether it's emotional whether it's physical the brain doesn't know the difference it treats both so both of these individuals have interesting stories. They came from a high neglect-based um, environments. The love was, in a way, conditional when it came mm. to parents. But they had a lot of resources. They had a lot of money. They went on a lot of vacations. They had access to anything they wanted, anytime. Parents were present for games. They supported it, etc. So you'd think, why would someone from this background end up becoming an addict? Right. Why is this? Why this person isn't homeless? They don't have a resource problem. They don't have a financial problem. Why are they doing this to themselves? Well, both of these individuals that I've been serving came from a conditional love background, right? And then over time, they developed this combination of entitlement as well, 
right? This entitlement yes. to winning, 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 having access to things. And think about a brain uh, as far as like a brain in general has two primary motivating factors, right? Pleasure-based or pain-based elements. These are the two main movers and shakers for human brains. So when I make a decision, I'm either doing it out of pleasure seeking or pleasure avoidance or pain seeking or pain avoidance. So if a brain didn't experience enough pain, right? And experienced a lot of pleasure. When you start to face life on life's terms and having to deal with setbacks or elements that are uncertain, things that you can't control, your lack of experience in tolerating pain is gonna put you in a very compromised state. And guess what opioids are? They're painkillers. Right. And so when you experience a setback, an injury, and you feel entitled to play and you can't accept that you can no longer perform or you have to sit and tolerate the amount of time it takes to recover from an injury, something happens to that individual. They don't have respect for time. They were used to getting anything they want, everything they want, anytime they wanted. Yeah. You see, this 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 is this is the the interesting piece is these are the two main categories. A lot of pleasure can lead to entitlement. And I've written about this in my book on internalization of wounds versus externalization of wounds. I'd highly suggest people that are like listening to this to, to give it a shot and, and see how the story or the childhood experience and the childhood environment can actually play a part on decisions we make currently and the way that we choose to live our lives. Yes. Not everyone comes from a compromised environment even coming from an environment that's where someone fully thrived or fully had access to resources, they develop a specific type of brain too. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that's what we're trying to incorporate here is how do we highlight the history, right? And the childhood experience and what the mental map looks like so the individual learns what they're committed to subconsciously before they make a decision to unlearn that commitment. And one of you know, the things I think some people don't consider is that if that person doesn't make the map of their brain or understand the patterns that are happening, come to the surface and address it, they're going to perpetuate it in some ways. And that's how you get that intergenerational trauma that sometimes goes through five, six, seven generations. 100% breaking cycles is going to be uh, the sole responsibility of the one that builds awareness. This is yes. how I view it. And in my, in my life, in my story, there's definitely generational curses and karmic debt that needs to be paid. And, and this is part of the journey. I'm far from perfect. I have a lot of awareness, which makes it <laughs> more difficult to actually oh. continue to pursue this on a personal level. Yes. Because when you have information, and you violate it, the amount of guilt and shame is actually amplified. Yeah. Right? You're right. And I think a lot of people think that if you work in this field, then you can easily apply it to yourself or your family. And that's not the case. It's sometimes more difficult, We, I guess, because we compartmentalize. And we can't see it in the people closest to us, and we can't see it in ourselves. But we could tell a client how to get through it. We could tell a client what's happening in their brain or their mindset. Right. We can definitely tell a client what to do because a lot of times we want to see if someone is actually doing what we need to do as well as we can gain some strength from it. Subconsciously, we have the selfish tendency 
to want to see <laughs> to want to see someone go through it so we could actually develop strength too yeah. I mean being in the business that I'm in definitely humbles me and keeps me accountable because it reminds me of how fragile we are as humans how fragile we are as creatures and how reliant we are on on various elements in our lives so another topic that we could explore moving forward um, and hopefully in another episode would be codependency right and and yeah. over reliance over reliance on external factors for internal voids and relief seeking as well yes absolutely thank you for all of your information and insight today mo and i think a future episode on codependency is a great idea there are many people impacted by it and and some who don't know they're impacted by it 100 percent true it's a very very subconscious until an individual starts to develop um, consequences and we've seen this in trauma bonding another interesting yes. discussion that we could have um, but you know it all leads to the same like the same place the same path i've uh, i've just recognized this war acronym that i'd like to share with you if okay. we have a few minutes and and listeners i'm sure would develop a lot of um, a lot of insight from this so i've noticed a lot of times that clients that I serve don't have an ability problem they have a willingness problem okay right so we we came up with this acronym that we use it's called the war acronym right w a r so w stands for how willing are you to get uncomfortable how how much willingness do you have to tolerate discomfort basically um, a is the ability piece do you have access to resources do you have a mentor do you have a therapist R talks about the readiness. Are you ready to prioritize purpose over pleasure? And so when all these three elements link up, and this is the recipe for change in a way, the subconscious recipe. When you have willingness and you have ability and you have readiness and your mission statement changes, you know, you're unstoppable now. Right. And so that's what I notice with a lot of my clients is they have ability, they may state readiness, but they don't have the willingness yeah and so that's the barrier right so you'd say well you told me you wanted to change what happened and that's where this concept of progressive overload meaning in time we start to pick specific things that the individual can from a budget standpoint like a cognitive budget standpoint actually pursue and complete so they could get those small wins before we aim for the bigger things and and that's something i specialize in is how do i help consumers build that willingness for discomfort and there's a system actually that we need to use based on the individual's lifestyle um, history skills etc yes definitely and i think that view and you specializing in being able to tell individuals how to do that being able to guide them towards finding how it applies to their life is very valuable and it's great that it can be used with everyone really because depending on your circumstance there's a way to figure out what's going on for you and what the plan is to help you get to a better place yes exactly exactly and the highest state that i feel like any human can reach is to be able to not only personify what they've learned or the teachings that they've had they have to become of service and this is where we self-actualize in a way we give back what we received 
you know we get this we receive this gift of awareness and insight and strength and our job is to give it back so yes. others can actually also find a purpose in living the same way and give others the same element we're all connected in a way many of us may not be aware of this at certain times in our lives but there is there is definitely a universal law and we're all a part of it and 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 i'm just you know trying to fulfill my role in this journey my part and yeah. i'm so glad that we were able to connect me and you and i'm hoping that we could reconnect again and discuss further topics and more elements um, that could be useful to the listeners I think that's a great idea. And again, thank you for your insight and all of your information. For the listeners, you can get his book, Mo's book, Manifestation, Reflections on Addiction Recovery on Amazon. And also on his website, there's a link, PremierCounselingLLC.com. Is that correct, Mo? That's correct. Uh, so on PremierCounselingLLC.com under the manifest, under the publication tab, you'll find the book. Uh, it's also definitely available on Amazon and Kindle, so paper format or uh, an ebook version as well. That's it's great. not a, uh, it's not an easy read. Uh, it's a little intimidating read because it's split up into two categories, right? It talks about why change isn't happening. It talks about all these subtle, un, like invisible elements. And then it walks you through a self-assessment piece. You spend about 30 days studying yourself based on 30 questions. You'll take a question a day, and then you'll have an understanding as to why you haven't made um, a move, why you haven't made a commitment yet. And once you locate, you know, you, you understand based on our business, we, we have this idea of if we misdiagnose, we will mistreat. So I spent a lot of time making sure I helped the consumer or the reader understand how to diagnose what's going on before they endure this journey and say, all right, let's do it. Well, you need to know what the price is that you're going to pay before you move forward. So patient comes in and says, hey, Mo, teach me how to be happy. My questions are going to be the following. Why are you sad? What's in the sadness for you? How long have you been sad for? And are you willing to let go of sadness before we talk about happiness? Because you've developed a relationship with sadness and a, an entanglement with it. And that's what's actually in the way, not learning how to be happy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I, I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation listening as much as I have. And if you want to learn more, please get a copy of his book and go through that process of understanding and learning more. And I love the idea of a question a day, that commitment process, that consistency that becomes a habit that can really lead to more lasting personal change. Definitely. I appreciate you so much for having me. This was a really nice talk. I appreciate you, Katie. Yes. Thank you, Mo. And we will probably talk soon. Yes, stay in touch. And thank you for all the listeners out there. And um, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Obstacles Under the Surface. It was a wonderful and engaging conversation with Mo Hassoun. And you can visit his website, which is Premier Counseling LLC, 
www.jeffreyhoff.com where you can find information about his counseling and wellness coaching as well as a link to his book on Kindle and on Amazon Manifestation Reflections on Addiction Recovery I highly suggest that if this this topic applies to you or someone that you love that you get more information by reading his book. We learned so much from our conversation today on overcoming barriers to wellness, but there's definitely more to learn about addiction and how it impacts individuals and those around them. <laughs>